Well, kids say the wildest things. Uh, we had VBS this past week, and I was there each night, and it was such a blast. Uh, one of the nights, I saw this kid coming up, so excited to see all these Star Wars characters, and he looks at me, and he goes, I like your hair. And I'm like, well, I cut it all off. There's not much there, you know. Um, and he goes, I wish I had hair like that forever. And I was like, well, one day, you'll turn gray. And I pointed to my goatee. Uh, it's a little gray. And he goes, yeah, then I'll be old like you. And I was like, awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, but kids do say some of the wildest things, and I know I'm not the only one who has heard kids say wild things. Um, I'm part of a few different pastor groups, and so I went online to see some of the letters that kids have written to pastors, and I want to share a couple with you. It is fascinating. Uh, this one says, please say in your sermon, Peter Peterson has been a good boy all week. I am Peter Peterson. <laughs> that was a good one. Uh, please say a prayer for our little league team. We need God's help or a new pitcher. Amen. <laughs> right? <laughs> I think that's a pretty good one. Uh, I like this one. I think a lot more people would come to your church if you moved it to Disneyland. I was like, that's a, not a bad idea. Disney, if you're watching, which I know you're not. Uh, but anyways, all right. Uh, I liked your sermon on Sunday, especially when it was finished. I thought that was a pretty good one. Some of you are like, Marcus, that's what I feel about yours as well. And, and that's okay. Uh, but kids do say some of the wildest things. And kids also say some of the most heartbreaking things. It's like when my nephews will run up to me and say, Uncle Marcus, today they called me weird. They called me a loser. They called me a loner. They said, I'm never going to have any friends. You know, what happens is, is when we're kids, we, we kind of continue and live with these lies as we get older and older. Many of you know, um, I recently just came back. I flew Nikki out to Washington, D.C., and she's watching online. Hey, babe, I love you. Uh, she was in Washington, D.C. She'll be there for a year uh, for her internship, essentially a residency. And on the way back, I'm flying by myself, and I like to fly in what I like to call silence. Right, so I have my headphones in, they're noise canceling, I can't hear a thing. You know, and the stewardess tells you how to put a seatbelt on like you've never done it before in your life. I don't need to hear that. I've been there, right? So I, I'm just, I walk into the airplane, I walk right into first class, and then I keep walking because that's not where my seat is. And I sit down and coach, but there's no one else in the seats next to me. And I'm like, oh, this is a good day. So I sit right in the aisle, I'm sitting down, headphones on, listening to a book, I'm just... I'm in heaven. Not sure exactly what heaven's going to be like, but I think if there's flights in heaven, you get your own row. That's what I think. Um, and there's always food. When did we stop doing food on planes for free? What are we doing, right? Uh, but, but so I'm sitting there, and then I see someone walking with two huge bags. And you, know, you just know that person's sitting in your row. You just know. They're making all the noise. They're hitting people as they're walking in. And I'm like, here we go. This person comes up, and they go, I'm right here. I was like, of course you are. Of course you are. Perfect. So they come in, hitting me in the face with their bags. Two big bags. I'm like, well, you're supposed to have one carry-on and a personal item. You have two bags that are too big for anything. So I said, can I help you put one up top? So I put it up top. He doesn't sit at the window. He sits right next to me. And I almost asked, what seat number are you? Right? But I was like, no, we'll just kind of let this be. I still have my headphones in. He's just got big bag McGee, whatever, over here. I'm just going to listen. He taps me. And he goes, how's it going? My name's Hamilton. And I was like, oh, cool. We're going to talk. We're going to talk. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. So I take one headphone out. Still got my business going on, and I'm still here in his business, right? So he starts talking, and he's, he's like, sorry about the bags. And I was like, oh, no, no problem, but big problem, right? And so then he begins to share. I, I'm a photographer. I travel all over the world. And I was like, oh, what do you do it for? He's like, sometimes business. And this last trip, I was just in Africa doing some missions work. And I was like, okay, Jesus. So I took my other headphone out. 
put it down. I guess we're going to have a Jesus conversation. So we start talking, and later on, um, his name is Hamilton. He eventually shares, about an hour into the conversation, Marcus, I, I know that I'm supposed to be used by God, but how could God use someone like me? And I started to think, you know, it sounds like Hamilton, like me and like you at times, is dealing with the same thing kids deal with and adults deal with, this greatest psychological weapon that the enemy uses against us. Because I believe if the enemy can't change the way we, we think about God, he changes the way we think about us. And what he does is he plants these labels and lies on our life. And he starts to say, that's who you are. And so if you were to describe yourself in one word based on the labels or the lies that people have said about you, what would you fill in? I am not enough, or I am too much. People have said that about me. Mark's too loud, or, or you're too quiet, or Mark's you're too silly, you're not serious enough. I recently found someone online who that is their whole brand, and they say, if I'm too much, go find less. And I said, I like that, I like that. So, I love you, but you know, right? We can go find less. I, I love it, uh, but what are the labels and the lies that you have? Many of us, if we're going to fill in this blank, it's based on the things that we have, what we do, or what other people have said or done to us. But I don't think that's the identity that God wants us to have. That's not the label he wants us to have, but it's what we put on ourselves or other people have put on us. Begin to think about what that label is this morning before we go any further. It's that I am a failure. It's just I am divorced. I am a mess. I am damaged goods. I'm not good enough. I will never be good enough. Or maybe like me, you, you grew up and, and people would say things like you're hard to love and you're hard to love did not move to I am hard to love, it moved to I am unlovable. And you believe that about yourself, you believe that about God, you believe that you are a mistake because you've been said you're a mistake. You believe you're unqualified, you, you believe that you are not enough for God, whatever it may be. I didn't make mistakes, I am a mistake. I didn't have a failure, I am a failure. We carry around those labels and then we come into a place like this and we hear about the goodness of God and we're thinking, well, God, you are my cornerstone, but there's these other things that I'm holding on to that are, that are really holding me down and, and it's not the firm foundation that I could have in you. Because when I walk in with those labels, and maybe you walked in with labels today, we look at God's word, as Paul would say in 2 Corinthians, he would say, if anyone is in Christ, anyone, you are in anyone, I am in anyone, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old is gone, and the new is here. The old labels, the old lies, the old things that you have done, the way you have identified yourself, all of that is gone, and I am now a new creation in Christ Jesus. But the problem is we're still living out the labels, we're still living out the lies. And the truth is, we live out what we believe to be true about ourselves. If you're living from this place of, I am unworthy, you're going to start to live every single day as if you are. And so, like me, you become someone, when someone gives a compliment, you go, no, 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 don't even do that. I don't even know how to receive that. But there's someone we read about in Scripture who, who probably would have had the opportunity to place all of these labels on themselves, but received one label, one name, one identity. In fact, there's more written about this person than any other person in the Bible apart from Jesus. Uh, Pastor Robert talked about Elijah. There's 10 chapters written about Elijah in Scripture. There's no, Jacob, uh, there's 11 chapters written about Jacob. You have Joseph and, and Abraham. There's 14 chapters written about them. But this one person, there's 66 chapters in the Old Testament and 59 references in the New Testament to this one person whose name is the same name that you and I get to carry. Beloved or Beloved. Who am I talking about today? I'm talking about a man named David, who God would say is a man after my own heart. 
We've been talking about this idea these past few months, these past few weeks, because I believe it's something that God wants to reveal to us. It's important for us to view ourselves not as the label or the lie that other people have said about us or we have said about ourselves, but we believe the truth that God has called us children of God and everything can change. Because there's this extreme potential that all of us have. However, the enemy's role and his goal is to stop you from accessing or seeing the full potential that God has for you. So we're looking at the life of David today, and not only because he's real, as we've had historians write about him, as there's been uh, things unearthed about him, as we're able to see he's a shepherd boy and turns into a king and he leads and he's great, but he's also relatable because he wasn't the best husband. He wasn't the best follower. He made a ton of mistakes. He was a murderer. He was an adulterer. However, he viewed redemption and forgiveness stronger than regret. He no longer lived with that label. So how do we live that kind of life? How do I start to live, not just with a new label or a better label, but a new identity as someone after God's own heart, a child of God? Well, why is this so important and why do I feel like we should take some time as a church to spend a few moments here? It's because if you're near God, you begin to hear God and his voice becomes louder than the other voices inside of your head or around you. This is why you read in Genesis chapter 3 when the fall happens, you see Adam and Eve, uh, they're there and, and God says, I'm going to walk with you and live with you. You can do whatever you want, just don't touch the tree. And they're like, okay, they grab the tree and they touch the tree and everything is, is wrong and broken and they go hide. And God says, where are you? And then Adam says, I am naked. And God asks the most important question he wants to ask us today. Who told you that was your label? Who, who told, he says, who told you you were naked? In other words, who are you talking to? Because you're not talking to me. Because I would have never said that about you. I would have said you're clothed in righteousness. I would have not said you're naked. Marcus, I would not call you a failure. I would call you an overcomer. Marcus, I would not call you just someone who is divorced. And so there you are, a divorcee. You are someone who has been redeemed and who is now married to the most amazing woman in the world. Marcus, I'm not going to call you that label. So who are you talking to? Who are you listening to? And I believe we can look at the life of David. Just a few short verses to be able to see what God wants to reveal to us about who we are and how we can become someone after God's own heart. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel? I'm going to be in chapter 16. Now, uh, 1 Samuel is in the Old Testament. Uh, you're going to get past... Uh, you're going to get all the way past Joshua, past Judges, and you're going to get to Ruth. Um, you're going to see 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, uh, 1 Chronicles. All of that kind of uh, show the life of David. And 1 Samuel, where we're at today, is actually following and named after the life of a prophet named Samuel, who was also a judge. You see, uh, last week, Pastor Joanne talked about the period of the Judges. Uh, scripture says the period of the Judges, everyone, thought, everyone did what they thought was right in their own eyes. Sounds like today. So in the period of the judges, the, the Israelites are saying, God, I know you called us to be set apart. However, we want to be like everyone else. And God says, what did you just say? You're set apart for a great purpose, but you want to be like everyone else. And they said, yes, so we want a king. So Israel wanted a king and God was looking for a servant. And God was looking for a heart. And so what happened is Samuel, then about 1050, tells Saul that he will be king. So Saul becomes king. Saul doesn't listen to anybody. He does whatever he wants to do and the kingdom is starting to crumble. And so where we jump into our text today, it's 1025 BC. Just to help with, with time, um, when you hear us talk about times of scripture uh, before Jesus, uh, BC or now science would say BCE, before common era, 
whatever you call it, you're still basing it off Jesus, but uh, <laughs> it kind of, it, it counted down. So 1050 and then 1025 is where we're at and it would eventually go to zero and then start over again. Now we're counting up, right? So 1050 is when Saul started as king and now we're at 1025. David is 15 years old. Samuel is uh, in his 80s or so and there's a moment that happens that's crucial for us to understand and begin to see. So starting in verse 1 of 1 Samuel 16, says, The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Just in the first verse, this, this first words, How long will you mourn? God is saying, Samuel, I want to do something new in your life. He's saying, New break, I want to do something new in your life. He's saying, In your family, I want to do something new, but you can't keep focusing on the rearview mirror. You can't be lost in the past. I'm doing something new. How long will you mourn? You've mourned long enough over something I've already let go of and something I've already rejected. So he says, Fill your horn with oil, the anointing oil. I'm sending you to Jesse. This is the grandson of Ruth and Boaz, to a place where? Bethlehem. Who else came from Bethlehem? Not a trick question. Jesus, always the right answer. <laughs> Jesus came from Bethlehem. So God is saying, Samuel, I want you to realize that something is coming from Bethlehem, which means a house of bread. The bread of life will eventually come from there. David, the man who wanted to build a house for me, I'm building a house for him. And from his gene, from his genealogy, from the tribe of Judah, will come Jesus himself. So he's saying, Samuel, you don't realize how important this role that I'm giving you is. But you need to quit mourning. So I'm sending you to son of Jesse, to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. And not much other information is given. He says, you're just going to go to Bethlehem. How many times has God told us something in our lives? He says, I want you to go this direction. And you're like, where's the rest of the details? I need all the details, God. And he's like, will you trust me in the dark? Will you just take the next step? Just go where I'm telling you. Well, God, what am I supposed to do? What's it supposed to? Just go. And then just like Samuel, we respond out of a place of fear because one of the labels that Samuel seemed to carry was, I am fearful. But Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears about it, he will kill me. He knows Saul is out of his mind. He knows Saul is going to bring some things and do some things. And, and this would not be the first time that Saul had threatened people. But the Lord doesn't dismiss the fear. He provides a way through it. He says, take a heifer with you and say, I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Invite Jesse to the sacrifice and I will show you what to do. You are to anoint for me the one I indicate. So Samuel did what the Lord said. When he arrived to Bethlehem, the elders of the town trembled when they met him. He was afraid of Saul. Now the people are afraid of Samuel. They asked, do you come in shalom? Do you come in peace? He said, yes, I come in peace. I've come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then he says this, consecrate yourselves. The moment he would say those words, they immediately would think back to Joshua and they would think that I have to consecrate myself for God is going to do a new thing. Some of us need to consecrate ourselves to receive the new thing God is about to do. For them, they would literally have to wash themselves and change their clothes to receive what God wanted to do. Some of us just need to get rid of the labels and change everything and say, you know, God, I'm, I'm done with the lies. I consecrate myself. And so that's what they did. Consecrate yourselves and come to the sacrifice with me. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. When they arrived, remember Samuel's one job is to find the next king of Israel. Samuel saw Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. It's like your first date. You're like, that's the one. 
We're getting married. That's, that's exactly who it is. It's got to be. Because Samuel still was looking for a man after Samuel's own heart. He said, I want to find someone that still looks like Saul, but maybe a little better. Tall, dark, and handsome. That's who I'm looking for. But the Lord said, verse 7, don't consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. Same word used there as he's rejected Saul. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse, being the dad he is, he goes, okay, not the firstborn, how about the secondborn? All right, then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. He said, just, just walk in front of him. Let him smell the fragrance in your flowy hair. Let him just see it. Samuel said, the Lord has not chosen this one either. And Jesse said, okay, third time's a charm. Here we go. So Jesse had Shama pass before him. But Samuel said, nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven sons pass before Samuel. But Samuel said to him, the Lord has not chosen these. But God told Samuel, you're going to go there and anoint for me the one I indicate. They're going to be a son of Jesse. So Samuel, this is how I think the conversation went down. Samuel says, Jesse, Jesse, Papa Jay, come on, man. I know you got more sons. I know it because the Lord said it. I believe it. That settles it. Something is going to happen here. So he says, Jesse, are these all the sons you have? Jesse says, they're still the youngest. That word youngest means insignificant, the small one. The one that there was going to be a sacrifice to the Lord. I didn't even invite him to come. I have my whole family, but not him. He's just, you're looking for a king. You're not looking for someone in the fields scooping sheep poop. That's not who you want. He's sending the sheep. Samuel said, send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So they're all standing up and they're all waiting. They're going to go find David. Verse 12. So he sent for him and brought him in. He was glowing. That word in Hebrew means he was ruddy. It literally means he was red. His skin was a different color because of all the sun that he was experiencing, all the dirt that he was in. He was just dirty. He had this health and a fine appearance with handsome features. We have it as handsome features in the English, but what it truly means is just by looking at him, you could tell he was morally good. Who I pray that that's the kind of people that we are. I just look at that person and say, there's something about them. Then the Lord said, rise and anoint him. This is the one. So Samuel took the horn of oil, anointed him in the presence of his brothers. Can you imagine that? This is, this is the one. Sorry, guys. Hey, Benadab, good, good luck though, right? I don't know what you're going to do, but Shama, sorry. Not even close. Not even close. Eliab, you look like the guy, you know, but you're not. You're not that guy, right? And so he goes, this is the one. So he anoints him in front of his brothers. And from that day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. And then Samuel then went to Ramah. I believe there's something that we can experience from what's happening in this moment with David and Samuel and God involved in the midst. David could have carried this label that I'm just nothing special. But what it took was a man of God to be in the presence of David and in the presence of God to reveal something about himself he didn't even know existed. So if we want to be people after God's own heart, we have to be people that allow God and godly people to speak into our lives. This is so important, and I believe, believe God wanted us to read this, because if you read 1 Samuel chapter 13, here's what it says. Saul is not doing what he needs to do. He doesn't want to listen to God or godly people. So Samuel speaks to Saul, and he says the most scary, difficult, painful words in all of Scripture. 
You can turn there in your Bibles if you want to highlight, circle, underline it. Samuel 13, 13. The Lord would have. Saul, God wanted to bless you. God was going to give you everything that he wanted for you and transform the lives and the world from you from the inside out and everything would change and you would have amazing success in the kingdom of God. But you chose another way. The Lord would have. My prayer is that none of us live a Lord would have kind of life. That we live a life that says, God, what do you want to do? That we're ready to have God speak to us. To have people around us, godly people speaking around us that can call out what is likely and what is lacking. Marcus, keep walking that way. You're walking in the goodness and in the guidance of the Lord. And we'll call out what is lacking. Marcus, if you keep walking that way, you're going to jump off the cliff. You don't want to go off that cliff. Marcus, there's some faith that can be brought up inside of you. Marcus, there's some courage that can be brought up inside of you. Marcus, let go of that sin. Let go of that temptation. You need to focus on God. Do we have those people in our lives? God said, I'm after that kind of heart. Israel, you want a king, and you want to be like everyone else. I'm looking for a heart that is like no one else. That's what he's looking for today. And this can be painful if we're prideful, because we don't want to have the other people begin to speak to us. But for some reason, David was ready to hear from God and godly people. So this humble shepherd boy, this obscure musician, would essentially become God's anointed king of Israel. So when Samuel, who is talking to God, hears from God, anoint the one I indicate. He says, okay. God, I'm going to hear from you. I'm going to be the godly person who then speaks whatever you told me. We're talking about Samuel, the one who, when he was growing up, living in the, in the house of Eli, living, in, living there, he, he would hear this voice start, start calling, and Eli would tell him, just say this, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. I don't think Samuel ever stopped praying that prayer. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Those are the godly people we need to have in our lives. To then walk up to David and say, David, you're wired for something greater than you ever could imagine. I believe in this season, God wants to reveal a version of you that you didn't even know existed. Because you've been carrying those labels and those blinders, you've been carrying the lies, and God says, there is something so much greater, I just want to speak it to you or have a godly person speak it to you so you can be revealed and renewed and walk in this new identity. He may use his own voice or his voice through someone else. Do you have those godly people? In fact, what do those godly people even look like? I wrote down just a few characteristics of godly people. These are the people that follow God and know God, have a deep relationship with God. The people that we can be listening to. Remember Genesis 3.11. Who told you that was your label? Who are we listening to? Who are the people around us? Uh, I'm learning in my own life that listening is ministry and leadership is stewardship. I need to listen to the people that are speaking into my life, God included. That is how ministry begins in my heart. And then when I want to share things, I have to, I have to steward what God has given me and share that with other people. And this is what these characteristics look like when they're lived out. The first one, just encouraging people. These are the people that bring out the best in you. The ones that add value to your life, not take away value from your life. These are the ones that help you remove the old labels. Do you have those encouraging people in your life? Are you that encouraging person? I think in my life, some of the encouraging people I have, sitting right here in the third row, didn't even know I was going to do this. I think of Chaz and Amanda, who are some of the most encouraging people. 
All the way leading up to Nikki going to D.C., I can't tell you how many times I said, are you okay? What do you need? What do you need? What do you need? Who's still checking in? On Friday, it was like, hey, we going on a bike ride? And I was like, no, I'm, I got this meeting with these pastors. And I said, okay, don't, don't worry. I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there. Hey, are you coming over tonight? Do you want to? I'm just going to encourage you. Keep walking in the faith. Keep walking in the faith. Keep going. Keep moving. Marcus, keep your eyes on God. I need those people in my life. Do you have those people in your life? that are helping you remove the lies. Chaz and I will be walking or running. He's trying to get me swimming, which I'll let you know how that goes. Yeah. Um, and we'll just be talking about what God is doing in our lives and some of the questions of encouraging people when they'll ask you, they'll ask you if things are true that you're saying. Is that true about yourself? Do you have those encouraging people? Next, you want someone who's humble. Humility is someone having an accurate view of themselves so they can have an accurate view of you. You cannot have an accurate view of someone else if you're living in pride. Because the, the prideful people in your life will say, I want the best for you, as long as it's not better than what I want for me. You can't be too good. Don't get too, don't get too successful. They'll say things like, hey, remember me when you get famous. Now, I want you to run. I want you to do bigger and better things than I could have ever dreamed of for myself. The other people walk around and say, I know that I am valuable and I know that you are valuable. In fact, humility is, is the one thing that you need to have true compassion and empathy. Prideful people cannot have compassion and empathy. It's just not possible because they're so focused with themselves. They say, oh, that's what you're going through? I've been through worse. Thanks? Compassion and empathy flows through humility. Encouraging, humble, I love this one, loyal. Ranked on the characteristics that people desire in relationships, the, the qualities that people desire in relationships and friendships, loyalty is always at the top because loyal people are reliable people. They're trustworthy people. One of my favorite proverbs says, someone who is surrounded by unreliable people will essentially walk into corruption. If you're like, my life is a mess, who's around you? Are they adding value? Are they taking value from you? Are you not experiencing what God has for you? Do we have those loyal people around us? Thoughtful. These are the people who pay attention to your needs, and this is the best part, and they understand and respect your boundaries. Are you a thoughtful person? Am I a thoughtful person? Do we have the thoughtful people in our lives? The ones that have the power of showing up when you didn't even know that you needed it? They're just there in your life and they are so present that you're like, I didn't even know I needed that text, but thank you. I got a text this past week from one of our staff who said, thank you for being a pastor who doesn't mind getting their hands dirty because during kids' church, there's, you know, things that happen and there, you know, was an accident, if you will, up front. And they were like, hey, there was an accident. And I said, I'm on it, let's go. And this is not like, hey, look how awesome Marcus is, but I can't tell you how much I needed that text to be reminded, Marcus, that matters. Do we have these people in our lives? And lastly, do we have prayerful people in our lives? I've heard it said that a praying friend is a priceless friend. I'm not talking about the people that say, I will pray for you. I'm talking about the people that say, can I pray for you? I'll pray for you tomorrow. No, no, don't pray tomorrow. Pray right now. I need it now. Hey, you need some peace and some comfort? Yeah, I'll be praying for you. No, 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 no. Now. You put your food away, you put your phone away, whatever. You pray right now. Pastor Mike and I were golfing on Wednesday, and we got matched up with this guy named Ben. Ben started sharing that his wife is going through just a difficult season of cancer. And I said, Can, do you mind if we pray for you? He said, yeah, that'd be great. 
And he kind of kept going, and I was like, oh, I don't think you got it. We're praying now. And he was like, oh, okay, okay, cool. Now he takes his hat off, and we start praying. And, and then this is how he prayed, because he then prayed for us, which we didn't expect. He said, thank you, God, for this moment, because I needed this, and they have no clue how much it's meant to me. I need prayerful people, and I need to be a prayerful person. Don't just look for these people. Be this person. And do you know where you find these people? Life groups. Get in a group. Surround yourself with people that are like this. If you're looking at your life and you're like, I don't have those people. There's a Harvard study that just came out that says, your life can be summed up by the five people around you. And I was like, cool, Harvard. Thanks for doing that today. It's been written in the Bible for thousands of years, but no problem. Bad company corrupts good character. So it's already been there. Didn't need a study for it. Do you have these people and are you these people? Who are the godly people in my life? I'm talking about the people that have access to every area of your life, that there's no locked doors. I think about one of, one of my spiritual gifts is sarcasm. Yes, I do have that spiritual gift. It's not in the Bible, but, you know, I think they just missed it. I think they misspelled it or something. I, I definitely have that spiritual gift. Um, I have been known when someone says, I don't like you, I say, it's okay, not everyone has good taste. That's not what you say as a pastor. But it's what I have said as a pastor. Uh, you can ask my wife. She's even watching online right now. Um, we've been out somewhere, and I have said this phrase verbatim. As someone is having a conversation, I'll raise my hand and say, where can I cancel my subscription to this conversation? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I know. Oh, I know. And don't give me that eye because you do it too. I just say it, what you're thinking. <laughs> yeah, someone, yeah, they laughed real. Yeah, they got that. Uh, or this one. I'll stop someone as they're repeating themselves. No need to repeat yourself. I was ignoring you on purpose. <laughs> I, know. I know. And I'm working on it. I'm still a work in progress like all of us. Praise the Lord. But when I was younger, it was even worse. And one of the pastors at the time walked up to me and said, Marcus, do you know what sarcasm is? It actually means making someone else the butt end of the joke. It actually means, the word literally means to cut flesh open and to leave a wound. Marcus, you'll bring sarcasm in relationships and you think it's fun and it's good at the right time. But sometimes you can bring sarcasm into a relationship that's not ready for it yet. I just say, okay, you got to help me walk through that. And I'm still being walked through with that because sometimes the sarcasm just comes out and I can't help it. But I can help it. But I need godly people around me that can help me and walk with me so that I'm not walking around blind. I'm walking around finally seeing what God wants to do in me and what's stopping me from doing that. The people that are helping you grow, the people around you that should be helping you grow and heal from the inside, removing the labels. Because you'll have the people who just look at the outside, right? Samuel said, I saw this and they're great. And God says, don't consider their outside. Stop looking out the outside. I'm talking about the inside. I want to see what is happening inside of their heart. So the world is looking at what, what people look at in the world. It's just the outside, just the physical. I'm talking about the spiritual. Where is their heart? Where is your heart today, church? Maybe your label is, is not just you're too much. It's not that you're not enough. It's you're invisible. I'm so small and so invisible that I can walk into a room and leave a room and I change nothing. If that's how you feel, can I tell you, even if you feel invisible to man and even if you are invisible to man, you are invaluable to God. And he speaks to you and he says, if you're gonna fill in the I am, God says, you are mine. 
I'm looking at your heart and I see someone who has not quite had the freedom to speak out in their exuberance and in their power and in their understanding and in their wisdom. And God says, I just, I'm just going to start to light that fire so you can be who I, who I want you to be. Start to live out who you truly are. And when we see this word heart, when it's written, people at the time would understand that the word heart actually means this area where your motives and your intent would be revealed. God says, I'm looking at the intent of everything that you do, Marcus. And for many of us, we're like, well, I don't hope he's not looking at my heart too closely. Because, well, he is. Hebrews 4.13 says, there is no one hidden from God. And if that causes you to be fearful, my prayer is that you wouldn't be fearful. My prayer is that you would find freedom in that. Because if God knows everything about you and loves you still, that's the best kind of love you could ever experience. If God can know me completely, that means he can love me perfectly. That's the kind of love I want to experience from God. Where there's no confusion and no uncertainty. That is the healthiest relationship you can be in. A healthy relationship can be defined as this. A relationship where you feel good about yourself and good about the other person. An unhealthy relationship, you just feel like garbage the entire time. God says, that's not who I am. I look at you and I call out that you're loved and that you're chosen. That you're brave and that you're kind and you're courageous. And he also calls out, Marcus, that sarcasm needs to slow down. And I go, look, sarcasm needs to slow down. <laughs> he says, I'm looking at your heart, Marcus. It breaks my heart that, I know all of us will walk through life and experience disappointment, but it breaks my heart that there are people in the room today who feel like they are a disappointment. But when God looks at you, he can't help but smile. Because that's the kind of love that he has for you because he knows you like no one else does. David could live from this place to finally say, I know who I am. I know what now, I know what I've been called to do and now I can go and make a difference. See, for David, he was just faithful in the waiting. And that's what you and I have to do. We have to remain faithful in the waiting. Whatever the label was that you had before, you're experiencing you're a child of God and created with purpose. Now wait. And it's not easy because we're like, we just want to keep going. But where you are now is equipping you for where you are going. I started working at a very young age because uh, my, my family needed food on the table. And so I was about eight years old when I just started doing like odd jobs and got a work permit, went early teens, like 13 years old. And I've been working ever since. God, why did I need to do that? Why would I have to work? And God says, because I was teaching you work ethic. Okay, well, well God, why, why did I have a difficult childhood and feel like I was never heard? Because I wanted to teach you to be able to speak up because you're going to stand in front of people and begin to show them who I truly am. And I'm going to give you a gift of teaching so that you can speak to people, but you have to begin to speak up even when you were younger and no one would listen. So even if you're not listening now, been there, that's okay. Because I know that God has given us a word for today. And God, why, why would I have difficulty in, in just working at these jobs and working retail and cleaning toilets and, and then moving up and, and be, becoming managers? And he says, I want you to know that every job and every gift is valuable in the kingdom of God. God, why would you have me start businesses that didn't work out and start businesses that did work out? He says, because you're going you're gonna to be a church planter and church planting is tough and it's great. And through the failed businesses, you'll realize I need to keep going, and God would teach me resilience. 
See, whatever you're walking through right now, we need to transform our view. David did not see it as stagnation. He saw it as preparation. We're talking about a 15-year-old boy who needed to walk through character development. You're in the season of character development right now. Whatever you may be waiting for, whether it's that phone call, or whether it's that next position, whether it's that application, whether it's that next school or that next relationship, you are in a character development season, and God is doing something, and he's about to send you out. But you have to be firm. I know who I am, I know what I'm called to do, and I'm ready to go make a difference. But in God's timing. So when Jesse would say they're still the youngest, he's out with the sheep. He's just tending the sheep. Where are you tending sheep right now? It just feels like I'm just kind of doing every single day. God says, I'm trying to show you something. Don't let the wilderness be wasted. Be faithful in the middle because God wants to reveal something to you. But I just feel like it's just every day, it's just Groundhog Day. No, God, God wants to show you something. Don't miss it. You don't think David would feel that at times? But it's with the sheep that David would begin to work on his musicianship. So even later on in this same chapter, 1 Samuel 16, when Saul is going through a depressive episode and people around him say, hey, you need a musician. And I know a musician who is from Jesse, who is the son of Jesse, who is a brave, a warrior, who is good looking, and he is with the Lord. Why don't you call him over? And David walks over and says, I've just been hanging out with sheep playing music, so I'm ready. And he calls him Saul. Also wrote some of the greatest psalms, like Psalm 2710. I wonder if he's writing some of this while he's with the sheep. He's, I'm in this wilderness. I'm in this waiting. I don't know what God wants for me next, but I know there's something, some great destiny for me. I'm just with these sheep. Psalm 2710 says, my father can forsake me, but God, you receive me. While he's protecting the sheep, he's beating up beasts. He's punching lions in the face and bears in the face. That's my translation. But that's, you know, that's what's happening. And it prepares him for war, so he'd be called a warrior. So when he'd go to battle, he's like, I'm, I'm good with all of this. He'd get really good with his slingshot, which prepared him for Goliath. He's like, I've already taken down giants. This is nothing. See, for him, wilderness was preparation. He said, I, I don't need all of the labels. Even though my brothers are going to war and I'm back here with the sheep. And my father says, hey, the youngest, the insignificant one, take food to your brothers who are doing something. David would say, I, I hear the comparison in your voice, dad. Someone who David never mentions at all, probably because the relationship was estranged. He says, I, I hear the comparison. I don't get distracted with comparison because I'm captivated with purpose. And maybe that's where we need to be today. I'm done with the labels. I'm done with the lies. I'm done with the comparison. Because comparison only has two outcomes. Either conceit or defeat. I'm the greatest person in the room and you are nothing or I am nothing. I don't want either of those. God doesn't want either of those for your life. He's saying, I want you to be captivated with purpose and just start walking forward. Walking forward in what he's calling you to do with a new identity, a new purpose, and a new focus. God's not saying, I want to give you a better label. No, not a better label, not a new label, a new identity, a new purpose, and a new focus. So we'd focus on God. And say, okay, Lord, if I'm going to be after your heart, I need to surrender and say, God, do whatever you want to do in me. If I believe that God has called me his child, then I know he only has what's good for me. And the truth is when it comes to our labels and the lies that we believe, we live out what we believe to be true about ourselves. In fact, we live out what we believe to be true about God. If I believe God has my best for me in his heart and in his mind, then that's where I'm running. And God wants to do a new thing and he wants to bring light into the dark places that have the labels and the hurts and the pains where he doesn't have to ask the question, who told you you were naked? 
He gets to say, I've told you, you are loved. Like David's name means beloved. God says, that's your name now. Beloved. That's who you are. That's what we wanted to share with our kids this past week at VBS. 200 kids, many of them don't even go to the church. 50 student volunteers and 50 adult volunteers. 300 people in the room lifting their hands, singing a song that's still in my head. You are a light, 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 light of the world, and you shine, 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 all over the world, shining bright, bright, bright. He's the light of the world. I saw a couple of you doing hand motions. I see you, Chantel, right? Like, it's in my head, but it's in the kids' heads. It's in their minds. It's in their hearts. It's transforming their behaviors. It's transforming everything. At the end, when Pastor Sammy told the kids and gave them the gospel, which they gave every single day, gave them the gospel, and you have these 200-plus kids shouting, I am a child of God, as they're praying and saying, I want to choose the light. And you had Darth Vader walk out and says, I chose the light side. I know it does not real Star Wars, whatever. Who cares? He chose the light side. And the kids are choosing the light side. And Pastor Brian and I are over at the cross. And kids walk up and say, I want to get baptized. I was like, we didn't even talk about baptisms. God's doing something. We wanted to show these kids, your identity is in Christ and nothing else. If your identity is found anywhere else, it's going to lead to confusion or disappointment. Your identity is in Christ. Church, your identity is in Christ. Run after God. Because for David, when he was anointed... It says, from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. God was telling David, you are enough prior to the anointing because you were faithful in the middle and you are running after my heart. Church, you are enough prior to what is next. Just chase after God's heart, no matter what it is. Begin to be in the place. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. Now I can go make a difference. I know who I am. I know what I'm called to do. Now I can go make a difference. Even if, 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 even if I have to wait in the middle. Even if I have to wait. From that day on. And whatever that label is, whatever that lie is, whatever that thing you've been believing. I remember when I first was given the privilege to pastor, I, I would argue with God about my ability to speak knowing that I went to speech therapy when I was younger and you all have heard me stutter and slur my words and have difficulty pronouncing words or pronouncing them wrong. And, and God says, you don't think I can use that? I made a donkey talk, bro. And I'm like, well, that's not a good comparison, God, thanks. <laughs> he says, Marcus, from this day on, what about you and me? From this day on, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. What about from this day on for you? 24 hours in a day, 1,440 seconds. I don't want to live another second believing that I am less than valuable to God. I'm done with the labels. We need to wash them off. We need to have the God and godly people speaking into our lives, submitting to God, waiting, and being faithful in the middle, and allowing God to do what he wants to in our lives. If we live that way, and devote ourselves to him, as it says in Acts 2.42, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer, watch what God does in your life. And I believe that on your last day, they'll say of you, as I said, of David. Acts 13, 36. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. My prayer is that you and I would serve God's purpose in our own generation. And at that moment, it'd be from this day on, I live for God and nothing else. That's what I believe God is calling us to. I pray that we find freedom in that. Let's pray. God, in our hearts, so many of us have had moments of difficulty with lies we've believed about ourselves, lies that other people have said about us, pains, regrets, 
things that have been, we feel like have been holding us back from what you have for us. God, let us receive today that we are known by you, that we've been wired with a great purpose for you in the earth today, and that we can go and make a difference. Lord, let not one of us live another day thinking we are less than. We're more than enough. We're conquerors. We are warriors. We are brave. Even those of us who feel shy at times, you're saying, I want you to build intimate relationships with people. Lord, for those of us that feel like we're too much, you're saying, I want you, I want you to begin to share with people about the goodness of God. Lord, for those of us who feel like we're not enough, remind us, leadership looks different for everybody. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room. You just need to be someone worth following. So God, give us wisdom today and healing today because we need you. And in the room, on the patio, watching online, there's this really brief prayer that we've prayed before and I just want to pray it today. If you would just say, God, I lay down anything that's not of you and I receive all that you have for me. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, church. I pray freedom today.